0: What is up freaks? Welcome back to Tales from the Crypt. It's your boy Marty Bent here on a beautiful, actually very ugly Thursday afternoon here in Brooklyn. It's raining. It's uh, it's a bit chilly out, but guess what? First day of the March Madness tournament. I got Vermont versus Florida State on in the background. It's currently a tie game with two minutes left in the first. Uh, potential upset alert, 13 over four. Vermont is winning, right, or excuse me, tied with Florida State right now. Um, before we hop into this week's topics, Matt is in the Dominican Republic. He joins me from a foreign land. How's the weather where you are, Matt?
1: It's absolutely gorgeous. I'm just uh, sitting by the water. It's fantastic.
0: Yeah, the freaks can't see you, but he looks like Archer after he was marooned on that island drinking <laughs> rum every day. He's got a he's got a short sleeve Hawaiian shirt unbuttoned. I've got a nice view of, uh, of Matt's chest pubes right now. And with that being said, this week's episode of Rabbit Hole Recap is brought to you by our friends at Unchained Capital. You freaks know all about them. They're down in Texas. They're providing you guys with multi-sig vault with a multi-sig vault platform. Uh, it was just released last week, and it's there to help enhance your security while preserving your sovereignty. <coughs> uh, so they have uh, basically a 2 or 3 multi-sig setup, which you can gauge in. Uh, they're compatible with Trezor and Ledger. Again, that's two or three multi-sig. You hold two of the keys, so you always have control of your Bitcoin at any given point in time. It's 100% cold storage. Get off the exchanges. Uh, there are risk if you have uh, your stuff in a hardware wallet and you are the only signer. Multi-sig, as we've been saying for the last few weeks, few months actually, uh, is just a way to become more secure and have more certainty and, and decrease the risk, uh, more specifically the physical risk that exists. Um, on top of this, if you guys go check this out, unchained capital.com slash vaults, and you guys sign up uh, this week or, or in the next couple months, you're going to get a free three month subscription to the Bitcoin Standard Research Bulletin by the much va- vaunted uh Safedina Moose. So, the man who wrote the Bitcoin Standard, he's been putting out an incredible bulletin letter once a month. You guys are going to get it free. Uh, you're going to get that for free for three months. Um, so go check out unchained-capital.com today. Matt, it's been a whirlwind of the last uh, 16 hours. First topic of the day, SQ Crypto hit the scene with a bang last night. Uh, Jack Dorsey came out on Twitter and basically announced that they are uh, Square is opening an initiative to support uh, three to four open source d- developers working on Bitcoin Core, or other cryptocurrency, open source cryptocurrency projects. Uh, came out of nowhere. Uh, I have a lot of thoughts on this, but first my voice has been, or excuse me, I've been talking enough in the beginning of this episode. Let's hear what your thoughts first. What do you think of Matt?
1: I mean, it's, it's absolutely great news. It's unequivocally great news. It's good to have, um, um, it'll help, it should help create a more resilient, more robust development ecosystem in Bitcoin. You know, we already have, um, a couple of other groups that are funding developers. We have Blockstream, we have Chaincode Code Labs. So this adds another um, avenue for developers to find funding, you know, so they're not doing it on necessarily a voluntarily bi- volunteer basis. They don't have to worry about, you know, like day-to-day expenses, things like that. It gives them actual financial security so they can focus on what's important.
0: Yeah, no, it's... Um And I wrote about this in the Ben today. It's been a topic of heavy contention within the quote-unquote crypto space for a while is dev incentives. Do they need to be baked into a protocol? Why do uh, open source protocol developers work on the protocols they do? What drives them towards that? And how do you compensate them? Uh, A lot of people believe that uh, going forward, we may need to create protocols embedded with certain developer funds that uh, sort of entice developers to come work on those projects in particular. I'm not as much of a believer in that. I think what we're seeing uh, with Jack specifically jumping in last night is a product of Bitcoin's resiliency over the last decade in particular. So uh, I wrote about in the newsletter again this morning, Blockstreams and the chain codes of the world, Uh, they had the prescience to see uh, the potential of Bitcoin early on and really put some skin in the game sort of leading the way, helping some uh, very skilled developers focus on Bitcoin full time. And I think uh, Square entering the game now says a lot about Bitcoin's maturity after a decade. It has proven to be reliable. It produces blocks roughly every 10 minutes and has done what it's market. It will do for 99.99% of the time that it's been running. So uh, a lot of people are like, well, what, How do you compensate devs? How do you compensate devs? I think what we're seeing is Bitcoin being so useful and providing utility for a company like Square right now as they're getting more into Bitcoin with Cash App and potentially their POS systems. They're saying, hey, this this open source protocol is going to provide us a lot of value, it seems, going forward. So, hey, let's contribute. And I think that's what we're seeing is validations of Bitcoin maturity. I don't know if you agree with that or not, but that's just the thoughts that I have.
1: Yeah, well, very well put. You know, there's a soft incentive here, right? It's that, that Jack and Square benefit from Bitcoin succeeding and, and doing better, right? So, so all these stakeholders have this soft incentive to then help improve Bitcoin and help uh, foster its adoption because it then benefits them. I mean, it's part of the reason why we do this podcast in the first place, right? Um, because of that soft incentive. And then, you know, a lot of people brought up, like, you know, the Segway 2X and the New York agreement and stuff like that. And absolutely, like, everyone should still be vigilant. You know, don't treat Jack like a demigod necessarily, you know, unnecessarily. But, you, you know, you stay critical of him and you, you stay critical of, of the work they, they do. Don't trust Verify. But unequivocally, yeah. it's, it's good news. It's just more developer funding
0: yeah we'll be able to know who square's hiring and we'll be able to track their github pull request and and maybe have their pull request uh magnified and <laughs> and and reviewed more if you're if you're worried about a conspiratorial takeover by by the corporation's bilderberg
1: well that's like that's what's so nice about having even more having another now we have three main groups that are are funding Bitcoin development directly, so the more we have um the more they check each other and stay critical of each other. And that's that's really great to see. I think I think we'll see a lot more of these style, uh, both from companies and also both from, you know, wealthy benefactors that that want to see Bitcoin succeed, that hold a lot of Bitcoin.
0: Yeah. And this you haven't heard yet because you haven't listened to the episode because you're not as much of a fan. But Carl Dong and I spoke about this uh, topic in particular, and he said in China, uh, there's a WeChat group. I think it was particularly their Lightning WeChat. Actually, I'm not sure if it was their Lightning Group. It was a WeChat group in China that he's a part of. Uh, but it's a bunch of Bitcoiners, and they're actually crowdsourcing funds. And they had raised up to 50 Bitcoin, uh, and we're picking a developer to sort of donate and sponsor. Um, so even crowdsourced individual Bitcoiners <laughs> seem to be coming together and doing this as well. And again, I think it, it speaks, it's a testament to the maturity of the network at this point. Uh, obviously, in the early years when Blockstream and Chaincode were first arising, it was a little riskier to put some money and put some skin in this game in particular. Now again, a decade in, uh, I think that decade mile marker was a huge mental hurdle for a lot of people. And we're seeing very quickly after the 10 year anniversary, uh, more legitimate incumbents sort of saying, all right, this looks like it'll be around here for a while. Let's start contributing.
1: Yeah, I mean, this is a multi-billion dollar company, public company uh, with a, a billionaire CEO and they're throwing their weight behind this. It's, it's pretty fucking crazy to uh, see yeah. unfold.
0: So should we should we front run the uh, Bilderberg conspiracies about <laughs> Jack trying to take over Bitcoin and protocol development?
1: Well, uh, has anyone checked to see how much uh, <laughs> Twitter and Square stock that Bilderberg owns? Do they own any? I don't video.
0: know We should Freaks Hopefully somebody, they don't Somebody, somebody <laughs> stat checks that We need to know um,
1: And also I don't, I don't appreciate the swipe On not listening to the Your two most recent pods yet It's the far, farthest I've ever oh, fallen oh, behind kidding And I You know I happen to be uh, A little off the grid At the moment So I'm looking forward To listening jab. to them Carl is awesome I've, I've met him And he's, he's fantastic
0: It was a light jab I was kidding Um what else was I going to say? It's something to say. Oh, yeah. So a lot of people, some people, came out and said, "This isn't enough." How how is <laughs> how is it that Square is only hiring three to four devs? Come on, let let let's let this stuff develop. Start small and grow from there. Just the fact that they're putting some skin in the game and showing support should be enough to be like, okay, uh, this is like a legitimizing stamp of approval. And I think there's a lot of je- like. Another and I read about this in the Ben today. A lot of people working on certain protocols that have problems raising money and funds. It may not be a dev incentives or fundraising problem. It may be a product market fit problem, and maybe think harder about that than than the money problem.
1: Yeah, yeah, and this is very much a you know see how it goes, get community engagement, dip dip their foot in kind of exercise here, and they you know and if it. If it all goes to plan, then the you, who knows how many developers will end up hiring. You know, it's, it's got to start somewhere.
0: Exactly. Also, start small growth from there.
1: Also, what's really interesting is uh, we keep mentioning Blockstream uh, and Skin in the Game. They had a really cool approach. I thought. I don't know if they still do, but they were definitely doing it in the beginning, where they would time lock Pay Bitcoin people. for bonuses. Yeah. It was only for the bonuses, but it's like that's a pretty cool concept where you have Bitcoin, but you. You don't get to access it's like stock options, like delayed stock options. You don't get to access it for a couple years. So you're incentivized to uh to help Bitcoin succeed.
0: Yeah, no, that's a great uh a great point. Do you have the balls to time lock some of your Bitcoin?
1: I mean I there's why would I ever do that? Like I'd rather have access to it. It just seems counterintuitive for me. But I, I like it from a, a company's perspective to incentivize as bonuses, you know, you, you shouldn't time lock all your, you know, all their Bitcoin. Their pay shouldn't be time locked. But
0: all right, let the record show. Matt is not uh, willing to time lock his Bitcoin. <laughs>
1: Fuck that! Why would I ever do that? <laughs> you know, you you can't sell your Bitcoin cash if it's if your Bitcoin's time locked. That's true. You can't participate true. in fork governance.
0: It'll be uh, time locked on both forks, or both chains. Excuse me. Um, yeah, there might, there, Light- might, there might be a
1: bunch of Blockstream developers that hold a bunch of Bitcoin cash that they can't sell right now. That's a fun one.
0: That's <laughs> hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> um, next topic, uh, Lightning Loop by Lightning Labs. This uh, post dropped out of nowhere yesterday. Uh, Lightning Labs is announcing the Lightning Loop Alpha, an easier way to receive on Lightning, and it seems like they're utilizing Atomic Swaps to help people with congestion problems on certain sides of their lightning network channels is that a correct way of describing it would you say
1: yes basically you don't have to close your channel you can you can send a lightning payment an outbound lightning payment and receive the equivalent amount as an on-chain transaction so you're like leaving lightning without closing the channel
0: Yes, and this is to help people, again, like businesses that receive a lot of Lightning payments and may have a, an overbalanced channel in their direction. This helps them sort of even that out and are able to receive and send payments uh, at all times, whereas the way Lightning's structured right now, it's a bit of a more manual process.
1: Yeah, you would need like to use like a Thor-type service, or you would have to actually have someone open a channel in the opposite direction to you so you have inbound liquidity to receive. So the easiest way to mm-hmm. get inbound liquidity is to pay people things. So if you if you're buying things with lightning, every time you do that, you're you're getting more inbound liquidity and you're losing outbound liquidity. But if you're like a shop or if you're just getting started and most of your things are receiving payments, then it's really hard to build that inbound liquidity and keep keep your balance. So by using something like lightning loop, you'd be able to Basically, make a payment, but you're not making a payment, right? Because you're getting paid back on chain. So it's not like you lose money doing it. Like if you, otherwise, you'd have to spend a thousand dollars to have a thousand dollars liquidity back if someone doesn't open a channel with you. So it's a nice little solution to to that balancing issue.
0: Yeah, it seems like a very creative solution. And atomic swaps fascinate me, man. They're, they're still something I can't fully. Uh, I mean, I can wrap my head around them. I cannot explain the technical details to to you uh, in very very good detail but it's something that just fascinates me the, the concept of atomic swaps in general
1: yeah it should be really interesting to watch all this to watch all this unfold I there's some promising things particularly with like cross chain atomic swaps um, but yes. there seems to be some issues there right now in terms of being able to game it and if you can game it then it's It's a non-starter. Yes,
0: that's true. But it seems like progress is being made. I believe Alex Bosworth and Brian Vu, who uh, made this announcement, are going to have more information for you freaks uh, in the coming weeks. But uh, I believe there's an alpha uh, that has been released, an alpha version, if any of you developers that may be listening to this want to go test it out uh, and are interested in testing out lightning, in particular lightning loop. Uh, We'll link to that blog post in the uh, comments, or excuse me, in the description, and you guys can check it out there. Next topic, Blockstream redesign. So this is actually pretty dope. I read about this in the event earlier this week, too. Uh, The wallet formerly known as Green Address, which is a very popular and uh, reliable multi-sig mobile app solution for Bitcoiners, Uh, for many years has rebranded as under the Blockstream umbrella now. It's now Blockstream Green, and it comes with a complete redesign and a couple of uh, enhanced functionalities. A couple of those being uh, 2FA now. I believe there's a 2FA uh, sort of layer of security to it. And then you can, uh, for Android users in particular, you can... uh, connect your hardware wallet and only the treasure one and the ledger nano s right now but i think they're looking to roll out other versions of hardware wallets and eventually get it on ios as well but seems like a good start for the redesign and rebrand
1: uh yeah so it it is out on ios but not hardware wallet support because yes not hardware wallets iphones don't let you do it through connecting a usb so they're going to they're gonna roll out hardware support with that new Ledger Nano, the X, I think it was, the one with Bluetooth. Yeah, with
0: the Bluetooth.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, um, and I – yeah, so the redesign's really clean. It's, it's been for a while, like, one of the best wallets on iOS. It's probably undeniably the best wallet on iOS now. I don't have an iPhone, but I'm pretty sure. Um, I don't know what else could compete with it. Uh, it's worth noting their multi-sig solution um it's two of two yeah it's something they pioneered a while back it's they hold one key you hold the other either on your device or on your hardware wallet um so you need them so you can't move the funds yourself and they can't move their funds with themselves but you need them to move the funds that's where the two factor comes in because they use a traditional two-factor system um where then once you approve the two-factor then they sign with their key Now, to get around the issue that maybe green address disappears on you or something and they don't sign your transaction, they have a like a time lock system where it'll automatically send the Bitcoin in the balance to one of your other addresses in case of them becoming unresponsive or no one signing the key. It just automatically times out.
0: Is that an address you give them when you're onboarding?
1: I'm pretty sure I haven't used green address in about three or four years, but yeah, uh, I haven't used it in a while either. I'm pretty sure it's an external address. I'm pretty sure you give them an external address, but maybe they have a built in system where it just shows up in the app for you. I'm not sure. Yeah. Okay.
0: Um, Yeah. So again, just uh, another option on the market mm-hmm. for users, depending on uh your, your s- your particular situation or your particular use case, this is uh, yet another, I mean, this is a multi-sig option that's been around for a while. Uh, It's been rebranded, been upgraded, but uh, the theme of multi-sig has been hot around this block for a while, uh, at least recently. uh, And it's just adding, it feels like the options for this sector in particular are are growing by the day and by the week, and that's just great to see.
1: Another thing that I like about Green Address is that they... And they've had this feature forever, block, and unfortunately, Blockstream nev- Green now. Unfortunately, it never really caught on. Is uh, is Green address it, which is if a merchant is is a merchant can join their program, or basically because it's two of two, uh, and they need to sign every transaction. They basically are promising the merchant that they're not going to double spend the transaction, so you can accept zero confirmation transactions, like relatively safely because you're just trusting green address. And, and if they want to build relationships with merchants, then they're not going to fuck you over, which is a cool concept. it's pretty cool. Yeah, they've had it yeah. forever. No one ever, it never really caught on. I don't, I don't know. I thought it was a cool little, little hack.
0: That's an interesting topic. How, how much stuff in Bitcoin in particular and software and wallet wise do you think has just uh, hit the market too early? As opposed to like being on time and being so like proof of reserves, like an example that we've talked about before, like and had proof of reserves. We feel like it should be demanded, but like nobody used it. Is this stuff too early? like What do you think?
1: I mean, I think pretty much everything is too early, but we're just we're early right now. So uh, you need the users, you need the actual demand for any of this stuff to. And so but this is the time where you flesh it out and you, you see what works and you see what doesn't.
0: That's true. Um, so check out uh, Blockstream Green now. If you are an Android or iOS user, check it out. Let us know what you think.
1: And it's also uh, it's worthy of a shout-out that they also redesigned their Explorer, Blockstream.info, and they made it way better. Uh, it's probably one of the best. Exp- that and OXT.me are probably the two best Explorers we have right now.
0: Yes, especially if you have replaced-by-fee transactions that are in transit. Uh, Blockstream.info, as a block explorer, is doing an incredible job of creating a a good UX around RBF transactions in particular. I believe we talked about this a few weeks ago. Um, But, uh, yeah. Did they redesign it recently, or is it... No, it was like a couple weeks ago, but I don't think we
1: ever talked about it on RHR. And it is the... It was a big... Especially since they also have... Um, they tell you your, your fees, if you can save on fees by using uh, a SegWit address, how much you would save. And they also have privacy uh, warnings and stuff, depending on, on how, you're, how you, if you're reusing addresses or certain things like that. It can detect if a Tumblr's been used. Pretty cool.
0: And they tried like, to not follow around your searches and stuff like that to help your privacy as well. Correct.
1: Well, that's a promise, you know, so you have to, you're trusting them to, in that respect, but they say they don't collect any information. They don't run any analytics. Uh, you can connect to it directly through Tor. Uh, so you know, but they take privacy very seriously, but to a degree, you're, you are still obviously trusting them. Uh, a lot of, a lot that's worthy of a mention. A lot of people, you know, they take all this care about privacy, and then they look up one of their addresses in a block explorer without using a VPN or Tor, you just linked your IP to that address. You know, if, depending, if they're malicious or if they're selling data or something like that, whatever the explorer is doing, then, then you've made yourself vulnerable there. It's probably a big source of privacy leaks.
0: Yes. Uh, it's something I'm definitely guilty of myself, so don't be ashamed if you've done it yourself out there, freak. And uh, to add to this, Blockstream.info conversation, in particular with their Block Explorer, they're so adamant about the UX and privacy and creating a good user experience for anybody using a Block Explorer. They've open sourced uh, this Block Explorer. Uh, so you can search Blockstream Explorer, E S P L O R A. And they have uh, an open API that if you have a website, uh, I believe Bull Bitcoin, Francis Paulette, and. Uh, his team are sort of implementing Esplora into their block explorer, and I think it's op- it is open to anybody. So if you're thinking about adding a block explorer to your website, uh, definitely check out Esplora and support Bilderberg. It's very important. Um, speaking of Bilderberg, uh, the Fed Fed came out this week, said uh, they don't plan on hiking anymore this year. After uh, last time they met, they said they would probably hike two more times. So it seems like in the traditional financial world, in the traditional banking system, uh, things are not as rosy as previously thought. Uh, If the Fed was willing to raise rates twice this year or thought they were going to raise rates twice this year, the last time they had met probably means they're a little bit optimistic about uh, the growth of the economy and the pace of growth and sort of the lending markets and credit markets in particular. Uh, The fact that they balked on uh, the notion of raising rates twice this year may signal that they are not as uh, optimistic about the future of the economy as they were the last time they met. Uh, so they, they did not raise rates, meaning uh, credit will be cheaper, which hopefully will stoke the economy. Um, Bitcoin's over 44,000 now after this announcement. Now, what do you think?
1: Um, So... On a a simple level, lower rates, right, result in asset prices increasing. Uh, So we've basically seen this low rate induced asset bubble in in mostly stocks and and real estate. And so Mm -hmm. a lot of people have theorized for a while is once you go down, it's really hard to come back up because when you come back up, you can you can pop that bubble. Yeah
0: things get more expensive.
1: So everyone who voiced that concern was like basically called crazy and then they started raising rates and then that's what happened. So now it should be interesting to see where we go from here because the short-term incentive is to keep rates flat or lower them because it'll it'll make the party keep going for a little bit longer. But long-term that, you know, might not be what's best. But either way, you know, owning a little Bitcoin gives you some assurances there that you can, it's almost like an insurance for, for their ineptness, right? No,
0: I mean, that's uh, the famous quote. Was it, I don't know if it was Nassim Taleb that said this in particular. Was it Nassim? Insurance policy against central bank idiocy, or was it Chima uh, Padapatiya? It's one of the two. Whatever. Somebody said it. It's insurance policy against the stupidity of the Fed, which I think is pretty high right now, uh, this being the stupidity of the Fed. And I think this is a good segue into a conversation on the Cantillon effect. We, f- or I found myself in a side conversation about the Cantillon effect, uh, which basically posits that uh, those closest to the creation, uh, to, excuse me, to the spigot of money creation uh, benefit. uh Asymmetrically, as opposed to the people uh, in the economy at the bottom, uh, sort of uh, that totem pole of money creation, meaning the banks closest to the Fed window uh, are able to benefit from uh, lower prices. And by the time money gets through the economy to uh, your grocery bagger, whose uh, salary is being paid via loan, has been given out via access to the Fed window... Uh, is at uh, sort of in disadvantage because by the time the money reaches him, inflation is at a point where his purchasing power is diminished. So the Cantillon effect, the thing about it is it's hard to prove with data, and I was positing maybe something to look at uh, to maybe prove that this may be right or may be a correct heuristic is to look at uh, the Fed's monetary base versus the velocity of money versus the guinea coefficient versus stock indices versus high-end real estate since 2008 and sort of map that out to prove that uh, money is not making it through the economy. Uh, The wealth between the rich and the poor is getting uh, wider. And those closest to the creation of money are just driving asset prices higher. I don't know if you saw this conversation, Matt, but I'm interested to hear your thoughts. I, I did. I'm sorry if that was a long. I'm sorry if that was a long-winded explanation. I'm it, Just trying to think of it.
1: No, it's it, memory. You, you did good. You did good. Uh, I. I. It's asset prices have gone up tremendously because the rates are low, and people can't own those things. Yeah, but most people right. don't own those things. Most people, the rich benefit way more when stock prices go up, real estate prices go up than the average person who doesn't own any real estate that owns very few stocks, if any, that's probably in debt. Uh, so there's, I I think, yeah, as you said, it's very hard to prove with data. But it when you look at it from like a common sense, logical point of view, it makes sense that. Through QE, we basically it we resulted in attacks from the poor to the rich, uh, from the people without access to the to the rich who have access to real assets and 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 can take advantage of of those increases in those prices. Uh, that's one of the nice things is uh, is about Bitcoin is that the access, access accessibility is there. Like most people, it's more accessible than something like real estate where you know you need hundreds of thousands of dollars of upfront investment in order to participate in something like that i think on a general basis regardless if who ends up correct or or right or wrong here the fact of the matter is is we've never been in this type of situation before where we've had rates low for such a long time um basically this government-fueled bubble and This policy shifting with the Fed after supposedly being super confident just goes to show that even our so-called experts and professionals have no fucking idea what to do here. They're like, you know, so I'm not. I don't think we're like arguing that we could do it better than them. The point is that they have no fucking idea. No one really has any fucking idea how to solve this in any kind of non uh, painful way.
0: Right. And this is. Something that's interesting too, and uh, somebody I'm going to have on the podcast actually works at chain Capital, full disclosure, but is a Fed me- like a mensch when it comes to Fed history, is Parker Lewis, and he wrote a paper Ender's Game. I've wrote I've written a, a long Twitter thread about it last summer, uh, but the Fed minutes are released four years after they happen uh, to the public. So he basically went back in 2016, I believe, and went back to the Fed Minutes between 2005 and 2012. That's all. I mean, that's what he had access to up to that point was 2012 and was able to basically over the course of seven years dissect Fed Minutes and point out glaring instances of them being completely wrong in their predictions and then backpedaling and then trying to fix it and then backpedaling again and setting projections and never hitting them. And it's, it's just a, a very... Uh, unscientific uh, s- sort of voodoo that, that they're trying to pull off and everybody just puts up with it and then again that's why we do this show that's why we're into Bitcoin it's something I'm very passionate about and it's why I left the world of finance after three years Of it was my job was to know what these central banks were doing I was like these people have no idea what they're doing and they run the pricing mechanism for the whole fucking economy of the world and that's a big problem so we're just trying to hey just be aware be aware.
1: What do you think would be best-case scenario Fed move for Bitcoin?
0: I mean, if they ever went NERP, it would it'd be best-case for Bitcoin. It wouldn't be best-case for the country or for the central bank, but it would be best-case for Bitcoin.
1: Like a like a couple more rounds of QE and then NERP, right, would be the ideal Bitcoin situation. Yeah,
0: but if you look at the Fed funds rate, it's... Moving lower and lower like a fractal it's like making lower lower highs like it's hitting a ceiling and it can't go much higher And it can't go much lower either. So it's are they going to break the um, the x-axis. That's the that's the question Or is it the y-axis? I haven't looked at a chart or Constructed a chart in a
1: while. It's at the y-axis. It should be it it should be interesting to watch And I'm just glad that I that I hold Bitcoin so I can opt out a bit from that
0: It's true. That's true Um, speaking of opting out, it seems like, uh, the U S is going to make it. So Venezuela has no option of opting into, uh, payment processor solutions like Visa and MasterCard. This is a topic you, you, uh, put up there. This article is from the block. I have not read it yet. So I'll let you take this one away.
1: Well, they want to sanction, they want to put sanctions on, on payment processors. So all the major credit card, American credit card companies, uh, you know that obviously fucking sucks for the people of Venezuela uh, they've, they're they already experiencing hyperinflation they're already being cut off from the world economy in a lot of ways uh, of their own doing and this will just further the issues that they have there uh, on a day to day survival basis and it just goes to show that you know is is Bitcoin a perfect solution for them now? No of course not but in the future, as a citizen of wherever you live, do you really want another country's government to have unilateral ability to just cut off your payments world, right? Like you should, like people say like, oh, Bitcoin, you know, why would I ever spend Bitcoin? Well, in like that situation, you know, people, Tons of people would spend Bitcoin because they couldn't spend any other way. That's the only way you can. So that's when all of a sudden the fees that you have to pay to use a network like this, that's censorship resistant, actually become incredibly worth it because the alternative is is you just can't you can't participate operate. in any kind of commerce. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And do you think the payment processors have any chance of? Uh, Standing up to the government and saying, no, this is fucked up. We don't want to do this.
1: <laughs> no, of course not. Honestly, honestly, I'm surprised that Visa and MasterCard have been allowed to operate in there still. Like, you'd think that they wouldn't yeah. be at this point.
0: Yeah, right? Yeah. Well, we have to imagine they they can do uh, other... Their systems are native to other currencies, too. They're not transacting... US dollars every transaction correct
1: right it was like their local even if they were using Bolivar's they were using it through like the MasterCard network right yeah and now that looks like that's all going to be closed down but I I think it's proposed and it hasn't been made official yet but I'd be surprised you know if if, if they how fucked
0: up is that though who's that really helping like is Medora really benefiting that much from these payment processors or are you just fucking over the people who are being hurt most by this regime
1: Well, you know, I mean, the argument always for sanctions is that, is that, you know, you hurt everyone, but you, you destabilize the economy to the point that they get overthrown. Uh, And, and I guess, and, you know, it, it does lower his tax, I he probably can't effectively collect tax at this point anyway, but it lowers his tax base, it lowers, um, you know, just all types of uh, commerce. So it's it, it does it does you, hurt the government as well, but it's gonna dramatically hurt the people. And the hope is uh you know, just to steel man it, the hope is that it'll push it over the the final you know, the last couple of people that have been sticking with Maduro will hopefully switch and 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 he'll be deposed.
0: Yeah. It's fucked. Like, aren't it? I mean, again, any of you Venezuelan freaks out there, maybe listening, I I feel feel for you guys. I can't imagine being in the situation you are, and I just feel like I don't know. I, I I have an uneasy feeling of the U.S. government sort of meddling in this, and I feel like this hurts more than it helps. That's all I'm gonna say.
1: Well, the good news is is that all of this should just be irrelevant politics. Uh, within the next ten years, as as Bitcoin adoption grows, so uh, it's it's, it's one of those arguments, one of those political arguments that, fortunately, we won't they, we won't even have to have anymore. it will just be irrelevant. You know, people saying everyone's going to still try and do sanctions, and they'll be able to do softer sanctions, but they won't be able to do really hard things like this.
0: That is true. That is true. Speaking of unnecessary politics, it seems like. Ethereum is going to move forward with the changing of their POW algorithm after uh, I believe it was 2.8 percent of token holders voting <laughs> uh, to reduce the the reward emissions for uh, the Ethereum blockchain from or excuse me not to reduce the uh, reward emissions to change the uh, consensus or excuse me the
1: uh, they want to make it ASIC algorithm. resistant. When I'm using yes, my yes. finger quotes. Yeah.
0: Yes. Yeah, so they're going the ASIC resistance route. We see Monero do this. Miser- Monero, I mean, they're not hard-forking every six months uh, to be ASIC resistant uh, in particular. It just so happens to help. But they, uh, if you want to see a project that's trying to be a- ASIC resistant, Monero provides uh, a good data set every six months because they hard-fork and their hash rate drops precipitously. I believe it dropped, like, another 50% after the last hard fork because they basically forked out a bunch of ASICs that were created after the last fork. Um, so yeah, it seems like Ethereum's going down this path. Brings up a bunch of questions because uh, there's some funny parallels going on between uh, like the SegWit2x battles and uh, the, the labeling of people as maximalist and stuff like that. It seems like uh, history seems to rep- be repeating itself with Ethereum in particular matt what are your thoughts
1: and it also obviously reminds you of the dow fork which was also done through carbon vote as a way to signal that there was support but i think they had like five percent of stakeholders no, i think
0: vote. they had even less i think it was 1.8 percent.
1: oh the so dow they fork. had so voter turnout went up this time it's uh, 2.8 um <laughs> yeah i I could be
0: wrong. I could be wrong about the DAF work, but Mm -hmm. I do believe it was lower than 2%.
1: I disagree with Monero's, uh, strategy, but that's really the only way you can do ASIC resistance is if you, if you constantly are willing to change the POW because ultimately someone's going to make purpose built hardware that will work better than general purpose hardware. Uh, the, and even here with this ProgPow, there's a lot of talk about it benefits certain GPUs over other GPUs. So, like, there's already an advantage baked into it. I think NVIDIA, yeah, certain it? NVIDIA GPUs yeah. are way better for it. So, like, who owns what GPU will already benefit. And then, you know, but the issue with changing the POW all the time is that then those people that are in charge of basically picking which algo you're going to switch to have an unfair advantage where they can game the system and they, they could be ready to... mine so the ultimate thing is it just results in a a way less secure uh it does the opposite it does the opposite of what the proponents claim to do which is they say it'll distribute mining and make the network more decentralized but really what these networks need to do is foster as many asics as possible uh from as many manufacturers as possible so you have like the two you have the two hurdles you have getting through the gpu bootstrap phase where you're Vulnerable from anyone who has excess GPU capacity can attack your network get so you have to get through that two ASICs and then you have to get through the ASIC bootstrap phase where you only have like one or two ASIC developers which is the issue we had with um, with Bitmain that we finally got through that hurdle so so they're really going backwards and it's uh, so it should it should be I thought that was consensus opinion pretty much that ASICs are, are generally good and you want to foster ASIC uh, development and, and distribution, but uh, apparently that's not the case, so it should be interesting to see if they if they push this through, if it becomes uh, uh, a contentious fork. I mean, like, if you have ASICs right now that are going to get uh, invalidated, basically, Brick. because of the the fork, a lot of people say, like, oh, they'll move to ETC. Like, I don't think they're necessarily going to move to Ethereum Classic. I think they might just continue mining the current chain that doesn't have the, the forked algo in it and see where it takes them because they really don't have that much to lose. They just, they can, they can do it for a couple of days and, and, and see how the market unfolds there.
0: Yeah, no, this is, this is something I, I can't believe hasn't gotten through people's head. Like it just makes sense. Asics are going to be a thing. Any chain that has tried to become ASIC resistant in the past has proven, uh, unsuccessful in that endeavor like they're inevitable asics are going to happen embrace them try to make them as efficient as possible that's the other thing asics are the most efficient way to solve these proof-of-work algorithms like that's what you want is efficiency 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 we should be trying to make it as efficient as possible
1: yeah and they Um, they enhance the game theory too because your asic is 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 basically worth nothing if you if you attack the network to the point of the of the token losing value
0: uh, you freaks can't see it, but I have a mic in one hand and a beer in the other, and I just tried to take a sip of my mic. Uh, it was a <laughs> funny experience. By the way, uh, upset alert is still on. Vermont's up 40 to 37, uh, almost halfway through the second half. Uh, but another thing, saying on Ethereum, I don't want to pick on Ethereum too much, but another thing they're talking about implementing, I don't know if we touched on this with the dev incentives earlier, I think we actually skipped over it when we meant to talk about it, was their intention or possibility to add a dev reward uh, subsidy a dev their, tax. It's called protocol, a dev tax, a, dev a
1: tax. 20% dev tax.
0: Explain it to us, Matt.
1: I don't know. I like the terminology of tax because really at the end of the day, you know, they're trying to mimic stuff that you see in chains like Decred uh, where, where you take a portion of the block rewards and you put it towards dev funding. Uh, whether
0: Zcash, perfect example.
1: Yeah, like however that gets handled. All oh, right, but Zcash has like the 20% straight to a certain group of developers decred like you just coin holders are supposed to vote and you allocate it i'm not sure exactly which method you know they'll be more similar to but either way the reason tax works well as a uh, nomenclature there is because it's involuntary like all holders are subsidizing that and who controls that funding is highly questionable that it that can be co-opted extremely easy while you have the the funding mechanisms of having all these outside developer teams and also volunteer volunteer developers from around the world doing it you that's a voluntary basis like people aren't automatically co-opted into it
0: no i agree I, and there's this thought experiment that i always think about like think about the man who falls in a coma and, or somebody who's like running a node or holding Ether at uh, at some point in the last two, three years, falls into a coma, his node's still running, Uh, hopefully, Uh, who knows if that would be possible with Ethereum. But uh, this man falls into a coma, expecting this protocol to work a certain way, and then wakes up post uh, Prague POW and Dev fund reward. How does that man think? Like, this is, is this what I signed up for? And that's like the mission of Bitcoin is to think about that man who falls in a coma running an old version of a node is able to wake up and he's still in consensus. And it seems like this, this first principle mentality is completely flown over the head of a lot of projects in the space, Ethereum in particular. Uh,
1: Exactly. Like at the end of the day, and like you kind of saw that with, with uh, Dan Larimer of EOS, his previous project. Uh, what what was that previous one? It started with a B. Steam it.
0: Oh, BitShares. shares.
1: Bit shares. He changed the code to a point where if you're if you hadn't been actively moving your keys around, you lost your keys. And like it, at the end of the day, if it's impossible to have truly cold storage on a centralized chain, because you'll never know if they just change the rules behind your back. They just take your funds, you can't access your funds, or they, they, they lock up your funds, they put you on a blacklist, they require KYC, all these different things can happen. So really, if you're changing centralized, cold storage is, is, is not, it's impossible. There's, there's no such thing as cold storage on a centralized chain.
0: Exactly. And this is why we Bitcoin freaks, this is why we're so into Bitcoin in particular, is they have this mindset, this think of the man in the coma mindset we were just we're trying to tighten the rules
1: that's what fidelity said i mean they didn't say think of the man in the coma right but they said we can't do custodial ethereum yet and a lot of other chains because we don't really know where they're going and we want to make sure that if we're holding billions of dollars for people that we can keep that secure exactly
0: Um, So something to keep in mind. And that's like a first principle mindset that I work from. Thinking of the man of the coma. Beware of the man in the coma, freaks. It's very important. Um, What's next? Bitcoin Optech. Just wanted to touch on Bitcoin Optech this week. Uh, They are pushing for uh, exchanges, wallet providers to... Uh, support BEC32 addresses in particular. Uh, we will link to that Bitcoin Optech in the show notes, but it's something uh, BEC32 helps a lot with efficiency, enables uh, a lot of cool shit, uh, specifically SegWit related. Um, but adoption of BEC32 in particular uh, has has been a bit tepid at this point. Uh, if you have anything to say about that.
1: Yeah, BEC32 is the newest address format. It's native SegWit. Uh, You'll have the lowest fees, the best privacy when you use it. Uh, A lot of new wallets have already supported BEC32 receives. It's the addresses that start with BC1. Uh, The big one for you freaks, of course, is Wasabi Wallet, which defaults to BEC32. So the issue is that a lot of wallets don't support sending to BEC32 yet, and A lot Mm -hmm. of services stuff like lolly when we when we talk to people about using wasabi with lolly or cash app they have to we basically have to tell them you withdraw to a Beck 32 supporting wallet that doesn't default to Beck 32 receiving addresses yet so something like electrum or samurai where you can send to them and then they support sending to Beck 32 so then they can send out to wasabi so we need yeah we as many people using Beck 32 as possible and and bitcoin optics specifically what they've said is You know, if if you're hesitant to change your receive addresses to default to back 32, that's fine. But they it should be expected that at this point, um, this long after SegWit activation, that they should support sending all popular wallets and services to support sending to back 32 at least because it's a not only do you have these these improvements, but it's a major UX issue. Like people are like, I put the address in, it's not valid. That's annoying
0: that is annoying. And ex- exactly UX issue uh that could get more annoying over time and that if it's and even if it's sending only, if it's sending only, it makes 100% sense. Like just make it send only. Cuz this is one thing that Satoshi thought about in particular uh was the address structure and the UX around that. He he crafted uh base I always forget either 58 or 64 uh, intentionally thinking of the UX around uh, the lowercase and uppercase I's and L's uh, and zero and uppercase O's uh, and thinking that people will get confused when they entered addresses uh, and wanted a seamless UX in that regards. And it seems like if people aren't allowing people to send a back, 32 address, that's just... Uh, A UX hurdle that is unnecessary and that Satoshi intentionally tried to avoid uh, with his original address structure, uh, which some people would say was not as efficient as possible, but definitely got the job done.
1: And everyone should subscribe to uh, Bitcoin Optech Newsletter, it's a weekly newsletter, very good.
0: And shout out to David Harding, dude is an incredible uh, documenter of everything that's going on and very clear and eloquent in his explanations. Last topic. Uh, this is, yeah, this is, uh, I think I offhandedly talked about this in the bank yesterday, but it's an interesting uh, stat to note. Hash rate is 4x where it was when we hit 20k in December 2017. Um, so despite the over 80% fall in price over the last two years, um, excuse me, year, year and a half. Uh, Hash rate has 4x, so the amount of people expending, uh, or not the amount of people, but uh, the amount of energy expended to secure and mine the Bitcoin blockchain has 4x since December 2017, and more recently we've had a a very tight range of stabilization with the difficulty adjustments. The last one was on March 10th, and we had a slight downward difficulty adjustment, but it was only zero, or yeah, 0.05 percent. And then before that, we had a slight difficulty adjustment up, which was 0.17%. And that was following another difficulty adjustment uh, upwards on February 10th of 4.25. So we're in this weird tight range of hash rate, which I don't think we've ever seen this this tight of a range uh, in Bitcoin's history. So um, whether that's optimistic or pessimistic, I don't know. I think I, think I would trend towards optimistic uh, because despite the price fall, people are still <laughs> dumping capital into mining in particular
1: yeah i mean so much for that all that mining death spiral uh fear-mongering complete bullshit right we called that one out when it happened so you called that
0: out in 2014
1: 2015 so just wanted to toot our own horn on that one
0: yeah um recurring fud i guess maybe we'll end it we'll end it we're we got ten minutes left. We'll end it with a segment on recurring FUD. Uh, so, the the Bitcoin mining death spiral will it ever go away, or will it be perpetual recurring FUD? Matt Odell, what are your thoughts?
1: I I I think it'll always be recurring, because I think you know I look. It was all newer people that were really scared about it this time around, right? And I think it'll I think that'll be the same thing next time, and you. You know, when Ari the,
0: Paul was worried about it, bro.
1: Yeah, exactly. And dude runs a huge ass fund uh, and was like going at me about it. He also, by the way, believes that the having uh, doesn't is, is already priced in, which is complete bullshit. So we'll prove him wrong on that one uh, when when we see that unfold. But. Uh, the mining death spiral shit is you know it'll never go away. When when the price is falling dramatically, like people are also you know everyone's on edge, everyone's freaking out. All of a sudden, people that were never concerned about like worst case scenarios are like going through these ridiculous mind experiments, uh, which I by the way love to do. But uh, you got to put your realism shoes on a lot of times.
0: Right. Um. Yeah. So the mining death spiral it'll be around. It's nothing that I'm afraid of. I just again uh people are still mining Bitcoin in China for a certain particular reason. I don't think they're worried about uh, worried about the price. There's people out there with with other needs and other other reasons for their mining
1: yeah i'm sure we'll I'm sure we'll be talking about this for years to come I also what what other what other kind of reoccurring fud will we always get? We just got the other thing is all this fud like it. It gets clicks because it's fear mongery, and the people there's like there's authors that are literally been calling for oh, Bitcoin to fail for such a long time that they just keep. Let's call
0: him out by name. Let's call him out by name. David Gerard. Fuck <laughs> David Gerard.
1: Well, I was about to. I was. Uh, I was. Uh, I was doing a transition, Marty. But yeah, that's a fud line. He just published in Foreign Policy that um, you know the the. The asshole fucking shot up everyone in, in New Zealand uh, at, at the mosques. He, in his manifesto, mentioned BitConnect. He was a BitConnect investor, which is the, the famous Ponzi scheme that a lot of us called out before it blew up uh, a couple years ago, a year and a half ago. And he, like, connected that to Bitcoin and then was like, Nazis use Bitcoin. And I think that's a reoccurring FUD line that we'll see a lot.
0: Yeah, false equivalencies. That's and, and that goes. I think that type of fud goes hand in hand with the energy fud. The Bitcoin is boiling the oceans Uh-oh. fud. It's it's false equivalencies. Uh, if people are allowed to, with the energy fud in particular, if cruise ships one cruise ship which expands or ex- excuse me uh, expends more energy into the atmosphere than a million cars in one day, um, is Is not causing an uproar like Bitcoin mining, which uh, is magnitudes of order cleaner as an industry overall than any other industry on average, it's a complete false equivalency to sort of uh, call out Bitcoin for using a certain amount of energy, most of which is clean, by the way, and not call out, say, something like a cruise ship. (laughs) This can be applied to, uh, again what that asshole did in new zealand whether or not he used bitcoin or bitconnect whatever it is he could have used u.s dollars or another form it's it's a false equivalency it's fucking bullshit
1: yeah i mean he used he used new zealand dollars every day right so it's fucking ridiculous no one can no one's like oh the i don't even know what they call their dollars over there but like no one's like oh the new new zealand fiat fiat did it the kiwi fiat did it
0: (laughs) kiwi um that's a, cute, that's a cute currency name, the Kiwi. I always like the
1: Kiwi. Ener- energy uh, efficiency FUD is going to be a big one for a while. That one's not yeah. going to... Whatever. But
0: it's all bullshit. Let's, if anybody comes to you with the energy FUD, spins on them so hard that they're... My, that's actually been one of my best uh, One of my best arguments for... Not arguments. One of my best ways at having people I'm trying to explain Bitcoin to in person recently uh, sort of have an aha moment is via the energies. Like, yo... There's a bunch of untapped clean energy in the world that nobody ever uses because you can't transport it. And now we have incentive to go to that clean energy and actually use it, tap into it via Bitcoin mining. Uh, That may drive, and obviously drives production of, but may drive innovation of clean energy sources. Maybe we'll figure out how to transport it, but just the fact that we're testing around with that in particular, Uh, will hopefully lead to some positive externalities. Then on top of that, you want to get into dirty energy. Let's talk about fracking. Let's talk about flaring and releasing methane into the atmosphere on-site at these fracking uh, sites. It's 30 times worse for the atmosphere to just release that that methane into the air without expending it. Guess what? Now we have an incentive to be as efficient as possible on-site in these fracking sites. Bitcoin miners show up cap that methane which otherwise would have been sent into the atmosphere to pollute our atmosphere and expedite this global warming crisis whatever people think is happening right now like it takes that energy and uses it and turns it into digital gold a sovereign currency that gives you security and it allows you to become a so- sovereign individual like it will make the shit more efficient freaks spin zone the energy FUD it's so easy to do it's actually helped me
1: That was a fantastic rant. I I loved it. I was very happy with it. Thank you. I'm I'm currently sitting in paradise, so talking about FUD is, I'm not so enthusiastic about it right now. The other line is, uh, but I appreciate your enthusiasm around it because that was a very good rant. Uh, The other line of FUD I would say would be a big line of FUD would be uh, the money laundering FUD. Uh, I think it just came out that the Wall Street Journal uh, report about shapeshifts uh, helping yeah, money launders was grossly misrepresented.
0: Paul Vigna, eat it, bro. What are you doing?
1: You know, money laundering is an easy target because as far as statists are concerned, like if you have any money outside, you know, money laundering can be whatever they they want it to be. So if you have any money that is that is actually under your control, then that you can you can create that false equivalency there, and try and basically like criminalize ownership and usage. Yes.
0: So again, uh, be aware of that fud in particular as well. And that was a great ten-minute segment we did there. I had a lot of fun.
1: Yeah, that was a nice little ad hoc uh, fud uh, preemption.
0: And get, exactly the fud preemption is important get out in front of it freaks i think the energy one's an easy spin zone one uh you know you can riff off my explanation if you want to it's obviously it can obviously improve i'm not the most eloquent well-spoken freak out there um matt that's all the topics we have for today you Have any final thoughts final musings
1: um i always hate these remote sessions so i'm looking forward to being back in the studio with you next week and uh Feels I good thought this was a good one, though. Yeah, this was good. I feel like, uh,
0: yeah, I thought this was a good one.
1: We're getting, yeah, we just cut each other off of the first times the whole pod, but uh, we're getting better at the remote recording, which is good. It keeps us flexible, especially you know, at any time. I don't want to get
0: too comfortable with it, though.
1: <laughs> there we go. Exactly. Don't get too comfortable. But I'm looking forward to seeing yeah. you again. And uh, you know, we just passed four thousand. I know it feels good, but you got to stay humble, guys. Uh, you know, we might have one more bad downturn here before. You know, this might be the last head fake. It might not. We might. We might have bottomed. But either way, just stay humble and and don't get too far ahead of yourselves.
0: Yeah, not gonna lie, I'm trending towards bull trap right now. But I'll take uh, I'll take uh, above four K Bitcoin any day of the week. <laughs> um,
1: feels, good. feels good. Feels
0: good. It always feels good. Always feels good. Feels good uh, sitting down with Matt even though it's remotely, I hope you feel good where you are. I feel good looking at where you are, because it's uh, much better than than Brooklyn right now. Uh, upset alert, Florida State's up by two with eight to go, so Vermont... oh, Nope, Vermont tried to tie it up, but they got eight minutes left. We're gonna keep watching this game. Matt, enjoy the rest of your vacation. Freaks, thank you for joining us. Peace and love.
1: Cheers. Okay!